I want you to turn with me, if you will, to the book of Joel, chapter 2 and verse 27 for just a few moments this morning as we study the Word of God. I've been preaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God for 45 years in January as a pastor. I ministered before becoming a pastor, so really it's beyond 45 years. I don't know how long Brother Taylor has been preaching. Do you Have you kept any kind of count of the years, a ballpark figure? A hundred and what? <laughs> okay. Forty-some. We're both kind of in the, I started kind of early. I, I, I began pastoring full-time uh, when I was 27 years old. And I'll be 72 in January, and you can do the math uh, of that. Um, It's been a long time. And I've found out some things down through the years and walking with the Lord and talking with the Lord and and studying the Word of God in order to preach on Sunday. But before I study the Word for a message for you, I study the Word for something for myself. Amen. The Bible said the husbandman is to be the first partaker of the fruit. And I have, I'll make no bones about it, I have brought messages that have made me go home and, and get before God and pray and allow Him to make adjustments in my own life. Uh, I want to talk to you about God in the midst, the secret of all spiritual blessings. And uh, if you have physical needs, material needs, if your spiritual need is met primarily, all of the others going to be taken care of. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I wish under the anointing, part of holy writ inspired by God, I wish above all things that you be in good health and prosper, listen, even as your soul prospers. Amen. If your spiritual man doesn't experience the peace that passes understanding, there's nothing materially, nothing physically that God could possibly give you to satisfy the deep longings of your soul. If you never find the joy of the Lord as your strength, you will never find lasting joy in anything in this fallen world. That's why the alcoholism rate and the suicide rate is through the roof. That's why the drug abuse, they had a a drug czar when they declared war on drugs and they tried to get down in Colombia and stop the flow and they worked with the Colombian government and and they tightened all the securities here. And one of the drug lords said something that I wish was not true. I wish I could, uh, could just deny that. But it is true. He said, you're trying to stop us from bringing drugs in. That is your focus. He said, what are you doing to stop the demand for drugs in America? And you see, that couldn't be answered. And I know the answer. The answer is, as Billy Graham put it, there's a, there's a God-shaped hole in every person's heart. And it is so big, only God can fill that vacuum. He's the only one that can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. The Scripture actually says that to be without hope, with those that are, are not Christian, those that haven't found it in Christ. And listen, if you're a Christian, you need to find this. If you haven't found it, you need to get a hold of it and let it get a hold of you today. Because you can be a Christian and still have a hole in your heart if you don't fill it with His presence and His person. And you don't find fulfillment in Him. One of Mike's scriptures that he said on Facebook years ago, I don't know if he even remembers putting it up there, but one of his favorite scriptures is when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. If he's not your life, then you're trying to find life in this fallen world through the flesh. And you won't even, well, you can't find eternal life that way. And you can't even find the abundant life that way. Scripture said that the thief came but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. Now, when you hear the word abundant, don't see Maseratis. If God wants you to have one, that's great. Amen. Thank God for Bentleys if God gives you one. Amen. I'm not too proud to drive an Escalade. So if you give me one, I will drive it. 
I'm, I'm humble enough to just accept the gift with great humility. Probably sell it and get me two equinoxes, but anyway, <laughs> pay off some bills. <laughs> because I don't need a status symbol, I need wheels and tires and amen. God is good today. Hallelujah. So when you see abundantly, we're talking about not only the eternal life, which is number one and always will be. Uh, what can we compare with eternal life instead of eternal banishment and punishment? But abundant life. Jesus said a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. There's no possessions. You know, I keep telling people, uh, I read those magazines only while standing in line in Publix. When I'm in line and there's a long line, there's these magazines and so-and-so is leaving, so-and-so, and so-and-so is checked into rehab, and so-and-so is marrying, so-and-so who left, so-and-so, and, and it's just a big mess. And these are the people that other people are looking up to. If I had their home, if I had their looks, if I had that woman, if I had that man, I would be happy. Well, they're not happy. They're not fulfilled. Because the abundant life is talking about the peace that passes understanding. The joy that, oh, by the way, if you want to be happy, you've got to get joy. If your happiness is based on happenings, you're going to be unhappy most of the time. Because we live in a faulty body. How many will acknowledge this is a faulty body? And you live in a fallen world. So between those two, happenings are not always going to be good. So as a Christian, you're not insulated from things that can happen to your body and things that can happen. I had a stroke, what, seven years ago. And I came face to face with the faultiness of this body. This is a temporal body. Paul called it a tent, but he used the word tabernacle. I think of a big edifice, a great church. He said, if this earthly tabernacle, Paul was a tent maker by trade. That was his physical trade before God called him and as an apostle. So he used the terminology that he was familiar with to convey a great spiritual truth. When he said, if this tabernacle, it is in the Greek tent. How many know a tent is not where you live. It's where you camp out. If you're going camping, you can put up a tent, but you don't want to live in a tent. Number one, there's no air conditioner, amen, for the tent, uh, even if there was, amen. Uh, my son went camping. He loved to go, and, and him and his wife, and get out. My son that's with the Lord now and get in a tent, and he got one of those flimsy tents that if you stand up in it and touch it with your back while getting out, the dew or the water that's on it will come through it. As long as you don't touch it, it's waterproof, but when you touch it, the water comes through. The Apostle Paul said, if this tent were dissolved, literally blown down by a strong wind, that's what's connotated in the Greek. Everybody knew a strong wind can blow that tent down. It can't withstand the winds. It can't withstand the floods. It can't withstand the rain. And our body is likened to a tent. It's a faulty body. So he said, if a strong wind blows it down, don't sweat it. Now, that's not exactly his words. I'm adding to that. He said, because we've got one in the heavens, amen, that isn't made with hands. We've got a, this is a tangible body, corruptible body, but the body that is waiting us, that spiritual container for our spirit when it leaves this body, we've got one in heaven not made with hands. Wherefore, we yearn not to be naked, not to be a spirit without a body to express ourselves, but to be clothed on with our body from heaven. He said, I can't wait to get that body. And by the way, that body is just to contain our soul until this body is raised from the dead. That's an incredible thing. You see, God says, if I give you a spiritual body and I don't raise this body, then victory is not complete because I did not create you to ever die. Sin entered and death entered through the sin of one. One man's disobedience allowed this to come. That's why there's going to be a big line in heaven to slap Adam. There's going to be a big line to hug Jesus, another big line to say, what were you thinking? 
Look at all the trouble you caused. Not really. If you slap Adam, you might get kicked out of heaven. Anyway, no, you won't. God is good today. You live in a faulty body, but he said, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Because when your spirit leaves this body, he said, there's one in heaven that isn't made with hands. It's not faulty. It, it's not going to have all the problems of this body. You see, I'm glad to know it. It's a simple thing, but it, it answers so many questions of why did this happen to me? Why does that happen to them? Why is this happening? Because I live in a faulty body. You live in a faulty body. It's aging. It's going to continue to age. Snap, crackle, and pop used to be my breakfast cereal. Amen? Rice Krispies. Now it's my bones when I get up in the morning. <laughs> Amen. So the body is aging. But my spirit, that's why, Brother Taylor, if they couldn't see you, they would never believe you were the age you are. Because when you pray and when you teach and when you preach, that man on the inside who is ageless and timeless, the, the real you, we live in a faulty body. We, we live in a fallen world. That's why the disease and the devastation. God is not orchestrating all of this. This is a result of sin and Satan. We live in a faulty body. We live in a fallen world. And we have an adversary. We have a foe, a very fierce, formidable foe. That's not to scare anyone. But the Bible said to be sober and to be vigilant. Amen? This is something we need to take seriously because Satan goeth about as a roaring lion, literally denoting a starving, hungry lion that is roaring out of hunger, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, literally give no place to the devil, no ground to the devil. He can't establish a stronghold in you or in me if we don't give him the ground. I used to remember our humble beginnings when, when my mom and dad bought an acre of land. We moved out of a covered wagon. I'm not that old. I want to explain that. It was the, it, it was the name of a trailer because it was half metal at the bottom and it was covered with what? The Landau roofs of, remember the cars that had the Landau roofs, the, the leather roof or the fake leather, leather roof? It had part leather, and the name of that model was a covered wagon. So I tell people, we came from Kentucky when I was a child in a covered wagon. And they look at me like, I can see, I can see. Now, they didn't back then. They thought I was exaggerating. I just wasn't telling the whole truth. Had to explain it. But when we came to Florida in the covered wagon, amen, we didn't know anybody. We didn't have anything. And we were grateful for everything. And I'm glad I was brought up that way because I'm grateful now for everything the Lord is and everything the Lord has done in my life. I appreciate Him so very, very much. Hallelujah. God has been good to me. I want to, I want to read this Scripture because I don't want to, to lose this great thought. Joel chapter 2 and verse 27. God in the midst. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. I've come to give it to you more abundantly. And, and part of that blessing is that God came, and we're getting ready to move into the Christmas season. But this is not a, a uniquely Christmas message. This is not a seasonal message. This is a message for all of us for every day of our life, just like Thanksgiving. Joel 2.27 says, And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. My people will never be ashamed. Why? Because I am not only the Lord your God. I'm with you. I'm in the midst of you. 
I'm not sitting aloof in my heaven unconcerned and you have to get my attention. His eyes, the Bible said, are upon the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. And God speaks of the man-made gods, the idols of men, and said they have eyes and see not. They have ears and hear not. And they have hands and arms, but they cannot touch you. They cannot reach you. But he said, I've got eyes and they're on you. I've got ears and they're open to you. The psalmist David opens up that relationship. And this God who listens, he said, he said, I love the Lord because he hears my cry. I love the Lord because he hears my voice. I love the Lord because he hears my prayer inclining his ear unto me. We sing it in a song and says, turning his ear always to me. He, he. Can you say, man, turning his ear literally in the Hebrew, it would read like this. He bends down and listens when we pray. I did a teaching series not too long ago on God is listening. So pray. One of the greatest incentives to prayer is not just being driven to God by your need, but drawn to God because of His love. And if you're drawn to God because of His love, you'll already be where you need to be in the time of need. Amen? He bends down. David said, I can't see Him. But when I call on Him, Amen, He is, he is so near me. Hallelujah. One of the things that they said of ancient Israel because of God in the midst is this. Who has a God like their God? A God so nigh them in all that they call upon Him for. The reason they knew God was in the midst of them is because they cried out to God and God came through and God answered and God delivered and God provided. And I want to tell you something today. We can talk about theology and we can tell the correct theology to the world, but they can argue against all of it, but you can't argue against answered prayer. Answered prayer is answered prayer. Miracles are miracles. And when the third day I walked out of a, a South Florida Baptist hospital after a, a serious stroke, uh, uh, I, I remember one of the nurses telling me uh, before I left, said, I deal with this all the time. She kept telling me to uncross my legs. I, I'd lay in the bed and put my legs across and because of circulation. They wanted me to keep them straight. But God healed me, so it didn't matter anymore. Because of prayer, God came through. She said, I deal with this all the time. And do you know that you're a miracle? See, when other people see it, when other people know it, when people that deal with it all the time say, God has intervened, amen. She agreed with me when I said, God did this. I am a miracle because God heard prayer, not because I'm special in the sense of being a minister or preacher. She didn't know that. And it does, that's not what brought the answer. It was people who prayed in faith and a God who listened and loved enough to reach forth His hand and touch me. I don't know if you know how much God loves you, but this mighty hand of His is nail-scarred. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And He said, I will uphold you in the Old Testament. Uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. I found out in Scripture God is right-handed. Amen. I'm left-handed. That's the hand normally of dexterity and strength. Everybody say dexterity and strength. God not only knows how to deliver you, He's got the power to do it. And not only does He know how and got the power to do it, He loves you enough to reach forth His hand to meet your need. That's an incredible thing. When I looked at that word uphold, I, I, I saw God coming when I was slumping down and getting weak, reaching under me and helping me, and together we walked along. Oh, if I'd come up with the little poem, Footprints. Amen. We'd build a tabernacle, literal, amen, from the... How many times have they sold in the Christian bookstores and articles? And, and it's a good thought because this guy's walking along the beach and he says, Lord, you promised to be with us. You promised to never leave us. And I've been going through some problems and, and I've been walking along. He looks down in the sand and he says... I don't feel you. I don't sense you. And 
and I don't see any footprints to indicate that you're with me. And the Lord answers him and says, you want to know why there's only one set of footprints? He said, yes, Lord, I do. He said, because I was carrying you. You know what God said to ancient Israel? He said, thou shalt be born upon eagles' wings. You've you got to understand when the Scripture says, thou shalt mount up with wings as an eagle, it doesn't mean that you're going to within yourself be able to overcome everything because of your faith. It's not that your wings are going to flap hard enough and long enough and take you higher enough to overcome. He said to the nation of Israel, Thou shalt be born upon eagles' wings. I'm the eagle. I'm going to lift you into the heights. It's always going to be me. I'm in your midst. They tell me that the mama eagle has a wonderful way of training her children. They're sitting in a downy, soft, comfortable nest. So the first thing she does, and other birds do the same thing, they begin to take the downy stuff out, the moss out, all of the comfortable stuff out, and they begin to bring prickly things and put it under them. And now they can't just lay there and squawk for food. Amen. You've seen little birds with their mouth wide open waiting for mama to bring it. They got wings, but they're not flying. They got, they, got, they, got, they got food served every day. They're not leaving the nest. They're not going to learn to fly. They're not going to leave the nest. But the mama bird keeps making them uncomfortable, and then they start climbing up on the edge of the nest, and the thing goes on from there. The mama eagle uh, is not just satisfied with them coming and looking over the edge and flapping a little bit. She actually grabs them and throws them out. She flies underneath before they hit the ground. And she takes them way up into the sky. And when she gets way up into the sky, she drops them again. And they go spiraling toward the earth. Amen. And she catches them again until they flap enough to find out that they can fly. Well, see, in Scripture, it's not teaching you to fly mount up it's teaching you to trust him i, I want to make that clear I, the reason i want to make it clear is because there's so much teaching on the authority of the believer that's true teaching on faith that's true teaching but when faith displaces god and puts it on you then there's an error in it god has designed that you be dependent on him Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. When a man says, Behold, I stand, regardless of his spiritual accomplishments or his anointings or appointings, the Bible said that man is in a precarious position spiritually. He better take heed lest he fall. Remember when Saul was called of God? and anointed by God, and he was a great leader in Israel. He led them to victory after victory after victory after victory. And the Bible said the reason that God anointed him so is because when thou wert little in thine own eyes, God made you a king over Israel. But now that he became lifted up in pride, now that kingdom is going to be given to another. When thou wast little in thine own eyes, God made you a king over Israel. And he gave you victory after victory after victory after victory. Spiritual pride is still pride. And it doesn't matter how pride arrives within us. It's something that we must deal with as his children. Most preachers that have failed. I remember Jimmy Swaggart. I'm not picking on him. He'll be picked on for the rest of his life. And thank God for his restoration in his walk with God. But the failure was blatant and it was public. And it's still an issue that people bring up from time to time. He said, I had good men around me. Men of God that I could have went to and confessed my weaknesses to. The areas where... I was giving in to temptation and asked them for counsel and for prayer above everything else. 
But I couldn't. And I didn't because I was Jimmy Swagger. When anyone gets to the point that we can't admit not only to God, but to a trusted friend, I'm going through something here. I work with a, an organization called All Pro Pastors, and it's not pro like you're thinking. It's just, it's just putting our best foot forward for God, keeping the balance between ministry and our families. And what we're trying to do is get people to come together and drop the apostle and drop the prophet and drop the evangelist and drop all the t titles and tags. In fact, it's hard to find a humble servant of the Lord with all the titles that people are putting forth today. And some people may be apostles and some people may be prophets, but if you're, if you're basing who you are on that title instead of being a Christian, who is grateful to God for your salvation and is humble, then pride can enter in. When there was little in thine own eyes, that's why Paul said, through the many revelations that I have been given, there was a danger of me falling into the trap of pride. So there was given to me an emissary from Satan to buffet me. Isn't that incredible? God in His permissive will allowed Paul to be buffeted by the devil. He had a limit on him. The devil is on a leash. You realize that. If you're a Christian, the devil's on a leash. If you don't give place to him, God has him on a leash. He's also muzzled. Actually, he doesn't need a muzzle. I like what R.W. Schambach said years ago in the tent meeting. He said, Satan goes about as a roaring lion, but if you're a Christian, God pulled his teeth at Calvary. But he also said, the tragedy is that a toothless devil is gumming many people to death. His destructive work is ongoing in many people's lives, although the victory has been won at the cross for you and for me. And the armor of God is available. If the fiery darts are getting through, there's a shield available to you. But you can't get it with the poor old me. You can't get it by complaining to God. You get it by praising God instead of complaining. Thanking Him anyway. Someone said there's two times we need to praise God when we feel like it, and especially when we don't. I challenge you today to praise Him anyhow. I get up in the morning and I declare, I make it a proclamation, it's the Word of God, this is the day. I don't know what the day holds. I know I'm in a faulty body. I know I'm in a fallen world. I know I have a formidable foe in the devil. And I know he will never let up. But I know God is with me. And that's supposed to make a difference. Why? Paul said we need to... I would do the... Has anybody seen the commercial where they drop the mic? In other words, this is the final, last word. There's nothing more to be said. Well, this is a drop mic scripture that I'm going to share with you. I don't drop the mic because I don't want to break it. <laughs> Amen. It's too expensive to keep buying mics if I did that all the time. But listen to a final word. Paul said, what? It's God, it's Christ that died, yea, that is risen from the dead in the book of Romans. It's Christ that died for you, yea, that is risen from the dead. What more shall we say to these things, these accusations, these condemnations? What is our argument? What is the final word that we need to say? What more shall we say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us, can you say amen? And I want you to know if you come to Jesus as your Savior, God is for you. Hallelujah. And God is with you. And He will come and save you. He will protect you. He will provide for you. But you have to do something. I have to do something. I have to accept that by faith. Moses made decisions in his life as seeing Him that is invisible. See, they that come to God must believe that He is by faith. 
and by the declaration that He's made in the heavens, and by the truth of His Word. When Moses came to years, he chose, being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, you know what that meant? Egypt and all its riches, he was in line to receive that. But he chose to suffer affliction, many afflictions after you were illuminated, with the righteous, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Anybody tells you that your flesh will not enjoy sin while it's happening is not telling you the truth. There are pleasures for the flesh in sin. That's why sin is always so inviting. Stolen waters are sweet, Proverbs said. Listen very carefully. He made his decision, and that choice, he said, I can be like Pharaoh one day. I can have all the riches of Egypt, but I'm going to go out to my people. I'm going to identify myself with them. Therefore, I'm going to have him as my source, him to protect me, him to provide for me. No wonder God made him a great leader in Israel because he chose God over his culture. He chose God over all the things the flesh would normally go after. He said, I'd rather suffer affliction with the righteous than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And he followed through and went out into the brick pits and worked with his brethren. And God raised him up to lead him out of bondage. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. You have to make choices. But when you make the choice to serve God and follow God, He has already made a choice to be with you on your journey, to help you every step of the way. Now, I'm good at reading people. I see there's things you just can't hide. So help me. I'm a, I wish I had blinders to put on for just a minute. Maybe if I preach this way. If you could see what I see from my vantage point, I'm glad for your smile. Because when I see that long, forlorn, defeated, depressed attitude, and it's, it's expressed in the facial features, don't try to smile now to please me. I want you to go out of here with a smile in your heart. It'll work its way up to your countenance after a while. But it's got to start in your heart, not just put on grin. Amen. Listen to me carefully. God is with you. It's got to make a difference. It needs to make a difference. I don't feel Him. I don't see Him. My prayers are not being answered. Your prayers are being answered. You, like me, are impatient. And you have need of what? Patience. And the actual Greek is not just take a number and sit down. It, 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 it implies perseverance. The Bible said he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That doesn't mean I'm going to pray and if it don't happen, I'm going to just walk away and, and question him. I question him. I question him way too often. I'm learning to praise Him more than I question Him. Because questioning Him never brings victory into my life. Praising Him does. And one of the things that helps me praise Him is gratitude. I may not know what this situation I'm in, why it's come to me, but I know who died for me on the cross. And I have a deep sense of gratitude for that. And if I question His love, if He loved me, why would He let this happen to me? I need something that is stronger than my immediate circumstance and my immediate feelings. I need an understanding of the cross and the fact that He stayed on it. And the Bible said, and here's the logic of the cross in the book of Romans once again. If He loved us enough to give us His only begotten son i'm going to ask you this morning did he love you enough did god love you enough to give his son did christ love you enough to stay on the cross
Remember when Peter pulled his sword to defend him and he was set like a flint to fulfill his mission? He wasn't born to lay in a cradle and evoke sentimental feelings around Christmas. It's not the little baby. He was born under the shadow of the cross. He came to die for us. That was his mission. And one of the wise men brought him. They brought him frankincense. They, they, brought, him, they brought him gold. They brought him frankincense. Gold is a gift for a king. The Queen of Sheba brought a camel caravan of gold just to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Frankincense is a costly ointment, it, uh, uh, a fragrance. It was, it was brought for a prince. They recognized Jesus as king of kings. They recognized Jesus as a baby, as the, as the prince of peace. They brought a king's gift. They brought a prince's gift, but one of them, recognized his mission and what this king and this prince came to do. They brought him myrrh. And it was that that was used when they embalmed someone for burial, prepared the body for burial. It would be like going to a baby shower and giving them a certificate for a casket for that child. A prepaid funeral. And Mary knew when that gift was given that there's something more here than just a beautiful child sent from heaven. He's here for a reason. And it was going to tear her heart out when she saw Him hanging on that cross. And it should tear our hearts up that He stayed on it. Because when Peter pulled his sword, he said, if my kingdom put it up, Put it up. This is my destiny. This is what I came to accomplish. Put it up, Peter. I don't need you to defend me from that cross. I need to go to that cross. You need me to go to that cross. If my kingdom were of this world, I'd call the armies of heaven. In the Old Testament, Jesus is actually called the commander and chief of heaven's armies, the Lord of host he said but my kingdom is not of this world amen the next time you feel abandoned the next time you feel like god has not been faithful to you the next time in your faulty body in this fallen world you go through the tests and trials that come to everyone remember Remember, if He loved us enough to give us His only begotten Son. And that word give us doesn't mean send Him to lay in a cradle and evoke sentimental feelings. He came here for the specific purpose of going to the cross and dying for our sin. That's got to transcend your feelings and mind. If your feelings are transcending His cross and His suffering and His devotion and commitment to you, then you don't comprehend the cross yet. And you need to. That's why Paul said, I don't want to know anything among you. It's easy to get off in this tangent and that tangent. But he said, there's a centerpiece to the gospel. Amen. Actually, I saw a T-shirt the other day, and I really liked it. It said, it, it, anyway, it ended up saying, I'm cross-eyed. Amen. Because my vision is on the cross. Paul said, I don't want to know anything among you. Come on, I don't know what Trump tweeted yesterday. Uh, I know it wasn't probably like it ought to be. Pray for kings and those in authority. He needs a lot of it. Amen. In my personal opinion. But anyway, moving out of that, that's exactly what Paul was talking about. I don't want to know anything among you save Jesus and Him crucified. And Paul, with all of his credentials, said, if I boast in anything, if I glory, which is the Greek word for boast, there's a boasting that is permitted that God desires us to do. He said, if I boast in anything, if I glory in anything, I glory not in the visions, not in the experiences, not in the appointing and the anointing and the revelations, but I will glory in the cross. 
whereby I am crucified to this world, and this world is equally crucified unto me. They don't get me, and they'll never get me, because I'm rejoicing in the Lord, not in the circumstances of my life. I was, he said, listen, where's my watch? Have you got time for a little more? Just a little more today. He said, if any man have a reason to glory, I'm more. He said, I'm a Jew of the Jew. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day according to the law. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And oh, by the way, he said, concerning the law, I am blameless. You can't find a, a commandment that I have broken. And of course, he didn't understand how God looks at things. Because there's one great commandment first and foremost thou shalt love the lord thy god with all not most but with all of thy heart mind soul strength he didn't love god like that he did not love god like that he fell in love with jesus when he got saved he was a highly religious self-righteous man that needed saving. And sometimes they're the hardest people to ever get saved. There's a man, a neighbor of y'all's. You invited him to church, and he has tattoos. And he said, do you think I could come with tattoos? I thought, yeah, absolutely. We're not looking at your, your, your skin. We want you to be delivered from your sin. Can you say amen? Join the body of Christ. Get saved. Go to heaven with us. Amen. Man looks on the outward. God looks on the heart. Listen carefully. The great apostle Paul said, Here's what I have faced and kept the faith. I was beaten with rods on three occasions. This is not a switch like my grandma. We heard a, a kid just going haywire against his parent in a, in a store that we were in the other day. And everybody looked at each other and rolled eyes. And there was a, a, a lady in the aisle with my wife and I. And I, I walked by her and I looked and I said, my mama, my mama, back in the day, you know, when you, my mama would have got me. And she said, my mama wouldn't have had to do nothing but look at me. Just cut her eyes at me, and that nonsense would have stopped. Amen? I remember my wife told her the story that I've told here before. My son was acting up. My youngest son, he was acting up in church, and, and she gave him that look that knew when he got home, you know, there's consequences. Now they act up, and they get to go to Dairy Queen. Can you say amen? Well, that was, this was back in the day. Come on, Sean. Back in the day, it wasn't like that. My son, he was about seven or eight years old, my youngest. He come home crying after church. He got home before mama, and he come home crying. And I said, son, what's wrong? He said, he said daddy, mama looked at me with them mean eyes. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah, I get that. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. That was back in the day. At some point, the cross. Because it's in us. This, this, this going with the felt flow of our feelings instead of the fact of His love. Nails didn't hold Him on that cross. They couldn't. Roman guards couldn't do a thing about it if He wanted to come down. And I'm going to tell you something. He, in His self, wanted to come down. But in, because of His great love, wherewith He loved us, He stayed on the cross. How do you know He wanted to come down? Because of His prayer in Gethsemane. Father, if there's any other way, if man can be saved, any way but me going to and staying on the cross. Let this cup pass from me. 
He knew what was coming, and the Bible said his sweat became his great droplets of blood. Just beneath the skin, there is capillaries that feed the skin. That's why a little cut bleeds a lot. Little capillaries just beneath the surface of the skin. Underneath your skin is sweat glands as well. And when the sweat glands begin to secrete and the capillaries begin to break because of the pressure that was on him in the garden, the sweat, a rusty, bloody sweat and blood mixture came forth. And the blood, the sweat looked like great drops of blood. If there's any other way. The Bible said of his soul, knowing what was coming, that he was sorrowful even unto death. He felt the pressure of it. And by the way, it wasn't just the nails. We see the nails and the pain and the suffering that's coming. The Bible said that he endured the cross, despising the shame. What you see in the Christian bookstores and on the crosses, maybe in your home with Christ on it, is a, is a pristine figure that has a little dot on each wrist and feet and a little swath here on his side. And it is in no way, and we should not have a representative. It would turn your stomach. It would scare your children. It's horrifying what he went through before he even got to the cross, let alone what he experienced on the cross. He said, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, which being interpreted as my God, my God, you think you're the only one that has felt what you're feeling? Why hast thou forsaken me? He said, my Father's always with me in Pilate's hall. But he that knew no sin took our sins upon himself. The Father couldn't look upon that sin even on his Son. And he died not with the consolation of the Father's presence that I'm talking about that every one of you have access to. He died as a man lost and abandoned and forsaken. His visage scarred more than any man's. And he stayed on the cross until he was able to say, when the last drop of God's wrath was poured out on him so we could be forgiven, he said, Tetelestai. One word translated in three words in English, it is finished. Literally, it is accomplished and in the financial area paid in full. They found an artifact inside a clay vessel. Archaeologist, about 15 to 20 years ago, I remember it was in the paper, this find, this dig from the time of Christ. It was dated. And inside the clay vessel, they pulled out a rolled-up scroll, and they opened it up, and it was the title deed to a piece of land that had been bought and paid for in increments and stamped on it, literally stamped on it, was tetaleste, a Greek word that means paid in full. Isn't that incredible? that he stayed on the cross. They offered him. He said, I thirst. The dehydration, his tongue cleaving to the roof of his mouth. Psalm 22 is a preview of the cross. And things that he said is said in Psalm 22. It's a prophetic psalm of the suffering and dying upon the cross, just like Isaiah 53. Amen. My tongue cleaves to the roof of my mouth, and they offered him a sponge soaked in vinegar and gall, and it was to help moisten and ease. They wanted him to suffer a long time, but 
they offered him a sponge soaked in vinegar and gall, and he refused it. Why would he refuse this, this one act? So many loving to see him suffer, shouting insults at him, but one of the soldiers offered him that. He refused it. Why? Because he was paying the sin debt in full. Six hours of agony when he could have called the armies of heaven, but he stayed on the cross. And that's why the logic of the cross is this, and it has to, to get in me and get in you today. Because our flesh, my flesh and yours, has a tendency to self-pity. To self-pity, poor me. Poor me. Why me? Why not you? Why not me? I live in a faulty body. I live in a fallen world. But I want to declare unto you, I have a faithful Father who said unto me, call on me in the day of trouble because trouble's going to come, but don't sweat it. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and thou shalt glorify me. Hallelujah. Every time the trouble comes, I call on God. God answers and He gets the glory. The devil means it for evil, but somebody bigger, somebody mightier, somebody stronger, somebody that is God Almighty is on my side and He's on your side today. Hallelujah. Somebody give Him praise. Hallelujah. 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 And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never, ever be ashamed. Hallelujah. Praise God. Would you stand to your feet today?